If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Women Physicians Lead, hosted by Dr. Lisa Herbert, helps women physicians move from surviving to thriving in their personal and professional lives. Dr. Lisa shares leadership tips, burnout support, stress management strategies, and inspiration from women physicians who've made remarkable transitions into leadership roles. There's a fantastic episode that you should check out called Taking Care of Yourself During the Journey, about how women physicians can care for themselves while on their leadership journeys. Check out Women Physicians Lead on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Iowa to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you, my friends? I hope you're well. I've got a really fun episode for you today with Kristen Campbell talking about relationships, dating, and finding love during a pandemic, and how dating has changed over the last 20 years since the shift to online and apps. She'll be up in just a minute. This is episode 80. And if this is your first time listening to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is a place for you to explore and create your own blueprint for health. Having worked in integrative health for more than 25 years, I'm acutely aware of how all aspects of our lives come to have an effect on our overall state of being. And it's my hope that through the content and conversations you get here, you'll be more engaged and empowered personally and in your communities. And if you're enjoying the content you get here, please consider taking a minute and uh, give us some stars on the app that you're listening to this podcast on right now. Or even better, write a couple of lines about what you found valuable from the episodes that you've heard and help others find us and improve their state of wellness. So this conversation you're about to hear explores a topic that we're all familiar with. It's the subject of no less than a billion songs, movies, and books. And it's perhaps one of the most intensely complex experiences of our lives. And it can happen anywhere and at any time. And to be without it is harmful to our health. Of course, I'm talking about love. Finding love in the time of COVID seems unlikely, but I've been hearing a number of stories about successful matches happening. And I made a special trip out to Denver to talk to Kristen Campbell, sister of one of my close friends, to get her take on what's happening and what she knows about finding your special someone from her work as a professional matchmaker for nearly 20 years. Here is my conversation with Kristen Campbell. When I learned that you were a professional matchmaker, I was so intrigued. So, so much has changed about the way that we're looking for a partner and, and what you're doing feels almost old fashioned. And all I know about it really is from that show on TV. A Millionaire Matchmaker? Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. She used to work for our LA office. Oh, she did? Yeah. And then um, who's the guy? What's his name? Brian Cranston, who was on Breaking Bad. Yeah. He used to work for a company. Did he really? He was he was our videographer. I I just uh, realized that in the last few years because I was reading a book of essays, memoirs that he had written. Yeah, and he has a paragraph in there about when he used to work for a company. Yeah. <laughs> was he good at it? Um, he just talked about it being interesting because again, you never know what's walking through the door. Yeah, and so you have all these clients come in, and every day it could be you never know. He's, he seems like he's got an amazing sense of humor, though. Yeah, yeah, he does. Which I imagine you have to have. 
<laughs> you really do. And you also have to have a good p- poker face. So it makes sense that people that go into acting came from Oh, us. that's interesting. Yeah, because you never know what someone's going to tell you and you don't want to make them feel bad about just confessing yeah. of or you know saying some kink or fetish or whatever. And so you have to be able to just, mm, yeah, it's okay. You know, so... So that's also what I look for when I'm hiring staff too. Is if they can't keep a, if I can if I can read right through them in the interview, then they're probably not going to be very good at our right, job. So right. that's something too. Well, it's it's I, I feel like in my job, there's a lot of times where I have to, you know, I'm I'm doing intake, and I get people comfortable enough to a certain point, they will kind of tell me, you know, all the all the necessary things, but it almost always goes back to like you know, what's going on with relationships, what's going on with their family. Mm-hmm. And that stuff comes through very quickly. So I sort of have a sense of like, you know, and then now I, I work with like multi-generations of families because I work with like babies. I work with, you know, the, usually at that point, a lot of times the the grandparents will come into sessions. So I'll, I'll then the, the grandparent will be like, oh, do you work with this? And well, yeah, I do. They come to see me. So then all of a sudden, I, you know, and then for years and years, sometimes I have, I work with families for like, you know, I have some families I worked with for 20 years. Wow. So I get to see these and, and, and they, and they bring all these different people who are sort of close to them too. So like some of their best friends, their, you know, their in-laws and all these different people, you really get a sense of like what the whole family dynamic is. So you can, you know how to sort of work with them a little bit more. That makes sense. I mean, that's kind of something too, where we have long-term memberships. Um, we don't just sign them up for a month at a time. Our shortest membership is a year. Okay. Because the honeymoon phase of a relationship lasts <laughs> right. roughly six to nine months <clears throat> before you even start to see it for what it is. You're emotionally invested by that point. So it takes time to get out of a relationship if it's not the right one. And then it usually takes a minute to want to start another one. So usually people actually do the longer memberships that are three years or kind of an unlimited membership so that we take them to the long uh term goal of getting them to a permanent relationship. Right. So, yeah. And then do you, do you, do you do work with them after they get into the relationship then too? Not often. Cause usually by the time they get to a point where they want help, yeah. they're years down the road. Okay. Cause usually those first, however many years people, um, yeah. you know, and because we've done so much filtering, people are kind of in the same mindset. They're the same kind of quality of people. So they tend to be more compatible right off the bat too. So what what is it? What, what's the typical client like for you guys? Um, well, and it's the, different. Every, I mean, you've worked in how many different cities now? Yeah, so I've I've worked in seven. Um, my boss will tell you eight because I actually ran a center remotely for a while. So, um, but I didn't spend a lot of time in that city. So, so which cities now? Minneapolis, Orlando, Jacksonville, Milwaukee, Seattle, Indianapolis, Denver, and Cleveland. Okay. So all the way across the country. Wow. Yeah. And usually uh, Minneapolis is where I was the longest. That was about um, almost four and a half years, but most of them have been one to two year stints okay. at a time. Do you, do you see any, any different patterns in any of the places like with, within each place? Oh, every demographic is slightly different in yeah. its own weird way. Like Seattle is very um, I, me, me, I. Uh-huh. And coming from the Midwest type of conversation where you, it's give and take. Yeah. And like they say something and you relate to it with some sort of personal experience because it's showing I was really listening and I, I can also relate. Seattle people just look at you like, this is about me. Why are you talking? <laughs> and so that took a little bit of an adjustment out there. Um, but I think that's sort of a West Coast thing all the way down because 
that's really where um, therapy took off mm, back yeah, in the like the seventies, sixties, seventies, and so it was this whole culture on the West Coast of you need to talk about you and like talk through your stuff, and yeah. so I think that kind of has has some residual effect on just the culture and society in those places. What was so? I'm curious, just living in Minneapolis, what was Minneapolis like in that respect? Minneapolis was um, interesting because. As we were kind of talking about earlier, um, they're more frugal and yeah. we're not cheap. Yeah. And but they have uh, very good credit scores, so <laughs> like they're financially responsible yep. and all of those things. Where um, you know they they can put it on a credit card. It's just whether or not they will because of the frugality. So so, so, so you have the initial meeting with them or inter- interview. You're, you're you're interviewing them for whether or not they're going to be a good match to work with your company. Yes. And so, you know, if they have um, any violent or sexual crimes in their past or stalking or anything like that, they can't join. Yeah. Um, If they are still living with a spouse, they can't, you know, things of that nature. Um, They need to have been separated and have filed for divorce at least a chunk of time. What's, what's the time period? Um, well, if they've been separated for less than six months and they haven't filed for divorce, then that's okay. not qualified. Yeah. Like, take take a minute, breathe, like, see if... Does the divorce have to be final then? It doesn't have to be final, but they have to sign a clause in the contract that says there is no chance of reconciliation, this is a permanent decision. Yeah. Because some people don't get divorced for years yeah. due to health insurance reasons. Yeah. And so, or some sort of something, or they're waiting until the market gets better to sell a house before they divide assets. Things of that nature where sometimes divorces take years and it's not because it's acrimonious, it's simply practical. So take me through what like a a typical interview is is like. What are your questions like to start? Um, Well, first off, I I just ask if they're nervous or excited, a little bit of both. Uh Because, you know, most people have never done something like this and they're nervous when they come in. Um, I just kind of say that what we're going to do is find out about you. You get to find out about us. We're going to hopefully get you started and get you on with your day either way. Because I imagine at some point you'd like your Friday back. Um, And then I check their ID, make sure they are who they say they are. We check both a driver's license and a financial ID because anyone under the age of 21 can tell you that you can fake a driver's license. (laughs) And so we also run a credit check. So we're matching up the bank of the card with the their credit check with their name so that we kind of uh, have a tri- triangle uh, proving that they are who they say they are. Yeah. And the credit check also helps me look for red flags because if all of your cards are co-signed, I, we got to ask some other questions because if you're going to put it on a co-signed card, why do you have co-signed cards? Yeah. Who's the other person yeah. on it? Is it a parent? Is it a spouse? Um you know, sometimes it might just still say cosign because you were married and the person died and it just hasn't changed on your credit report. Right. So we have to kind of investigate. But I think one of the um, biggest red flags I found on a credit report was I asked a guy if he had any children and he said no. And I was like, um, do you want to try that again? And he said, no, I don't have any kids. And I was like, one last shot. Because if you're not honest with me, I'm not going to qualify you for this. Yeah. And he's like, what? And I was like, you're in collections for child support on your credit report. <laughs> and he goes, oh, that kid. And I was like, yeah, not for us. You know, like, yeah. they're just things that we, all of these different steps that we take are for kind of weeding stuff out. Um, but then, you know, I ask him how many times they've been married, 
how long ago was their last serious relationship? When did it end? How long were you together? Why did it end? Um, in the time since that last relationship, how have you been attempting to meet people? And yeah. just kind of talking about that. And usually um, in this day and age, it's usually online dating. Yeah. And they usually are just like, and it's terrible. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the, they automatically are like, it's awful. But you started doing this, so when, how, how long ago? So it'll be 20 years ago next July. And eHarmony had just come out. Yeah. Match.com was just finding traction. Yeah. And so like, it was really interesting to watch that arc as well because over the last 20 years, eHarmony was actually good when it started because they had an hour-long survey you had to fill out before. Yeah. They didn't qualify everyone for it. Yeah. Um, then when you were using it, you had to go back and forth three steps with the person that you were interested in before you could see photos. So they were really setting you up to try and find compatibility. Yeah. And then they tried to compete with Match.com and now they they kind of lost what their you know speciality was. And then Match.com, their tagline for a while was, it's okay to look. <laughs> and so then Wall Street Journal came out and did an article about how over 40% of the people on there were married because it's okay ah. to look. And they brought in this element that kind of made it a cesspool of that. And so there was all of these things where we were watching this arc of what started off as a great idea on the online dating and making it more efficient and being able to do it from home into it was just simply about what can we do? And actually the match group that owns about, I think like 2000 of them, um, got sued last year because they knowingly, they know that every day about half of the people that sign up are not real profiles. Ah. And they also, those get mixed into their algorithm, which is used for marketing to right. bring people in. Right. So they're using fake profiles to bring people in. And it, I guess it was a thing. So, so, so at this point for it's for your business, for your company, they're they're trying to set a, sp a specific standard for what they will do that a lot of these companies can't and and part of it is you're not really doing algorithm work. No, because they have and one of the great things is is that every single person that's a member has to come in in person. They have to be screened out. Yeah. They have to have to pass a criminal background check. They have to make an investment an investment of time and money and effort and energy into um, this part of their life. And they have to show that they have sincerity of purpose yeah. in their, you know, in their relationship goals. So it's a whole different level. Plus, um, you know that the person in the pictures is the same one that's going to show up on the date because our photographer took the pictures. Oh yeah, for sure. So it's sure. not a picture from before she gained fifty to hundred pounds, right. which I always hear about the online or uh, the guy or when the guy used to have hair. And so, you know, it, you're going to recognize the person in the restaurant, yeah. which is a big difference also. Yeah. So, And we also do a quick video um, on each person. So you get to hear uh, what their voice sounds like. You get to hear the kinds of stories they tell. You get, oh, to like see, you get to hear how they laugh when they're telling a story versus seeing how they smile in a picture, which is a different part of them. Oh, for sure. And so by the time you go on the date, it's taken the first few minutes of a date, so you both know you want to be there. Yeah. And so it takes some of that it takes a lot of that ick out of the nervousness and just leaves kind of room for the good kind of butterflies. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a it's a whole different kind of dating because you know you're not going to get to the restaurant and three minutes in go, I don't even want to be here. I'd rather be home watching yeah. something on my screen. 
So how, how much of it is like visual bit versus like that, you know, listening to things or reading about them? Or is, uh, do, do they see much for pictures? Um, they see five photos and it's um, close up and it's full body. So you, you, like I said, you will recognize them in a restaurant. Right. Um, and then there's a profile with it. It's pretty simple and efficient, but we also do work behind the scenes because all of us are talking about, oh, do you know who would be good with who? And we're giving suggestions oh, yeah, yeah. and all of that as well. And so stuff that may not um, show up on a profile, but we remember from interviewing them is overlapping with someone else you interview. I just had, so last December, um, I signed up a woman at like the, the, like the 6th of December. And then on like the 17th, I signed up with this guy and I was, I was like, I know your person. And he's like, nice sales tactic. And I was like, nope, I never say that in the interview unless I really mean it. And I've had a handful of them over the years where I'm like, I know your person. And they just called us two weeks ago to tell us that they have a wedding date. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, and there's 66 and 70 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and so I get to watch all these people find, oftentimes, like the first great love in their life in their 60s or 70s or 80s or 90s. And because, you know, they got married very young and they stayed in the marriage for a long time. She had been in a marriage a completely affectionateless marriage for 25 years. Yeah. His wife had died two years ago and they are ecstatically happy together. And it's that kind of stuff that's really fun. That's so cool. So it, it's gotta be it's gotta be hard though when there's, I'm sure there are people who come in who, who we might uh, refer to them as like fixer uppers. <laughs> where yes. You just know that like this person's been single for, for too long or... Maybe I shouldn't say too long, but a, a long time. Something, something that like they get out of sync with what it's like to be living with another person, or to have to, you know, navigate the the, the different things that they're going to have to do, decisions they're going to have to make with somebody else. Is that a pretty common thing? Do you? And, and then what do you do in that situation? Yeah, we have that absolutely happen, and then we also have the opposite where some people just have a broken picker. <laughs> And they don't date in their own best interest. And we have to help them navigate around that as well. And that's part of why this is helpful for someone like that is we're weeding out so much of the stuff that wouldn't be good for them anyway that if if someone has a broken picker and there's a room full of people, they're going to pick the lowest common denominator in that room. If we've taken out all of the lowest common denominator, they're still going to pick the lowest common denominator, but it's levels up from what they usually date, yeah, yeah. things like that. But the fixer-uppers, that's also, we definitely have people who, you know, they've gotten their life so rigid, they know where the remote goes and they know how they like the towels put yeah, away and they yeah. know where everything is in the fridge and how they like it. And, you know, I I have a pretty blunt conversation with them in the interview about it and just say, you know, are you at a point where you can let go of some of these things and you have your little box that you're living in and everything's put where you want it. Yeah. And you need to be able to break down one of those walls and let her in there. Yeah. And so, yeah, we do get some of that. What, what is, what do you, do you tell them that there's, that they have a, a broken picker or? Are, oh are, yeah. Straight up. Yeah. It's a word I, we have a conversation about <laughs> often. And usually when I say it, they go, Yeah. That is what it is. I have that is. I have a broken picker, 
What, and, and what, what do you think those those things are? What what is it that that causes those kinds of bad, sometimes bad decisions? It, sometimes it's childhood. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes a lot of times adults haven't had any healthy examples of what a couple's supposed to look right. like. And so they don't know how to... Or just a relationship in general. Or a relationship in general, yeah. And so depending on what they saw growing up and you know how that affected them, sometimes it's not until they got to adulthood and they had a bad relationship. Yeah. Or you know sometimes they're too caring and they want to take care of people and they want to help people and they're too optimistic about it. Yeah. And so they get into these relationships with someone who does damage to them. I mean, there's a lot of different ways. And, and, and what people use relationships for, for themselves, mm-hmm. all, so many different things. Some people need to be taking care of somebody. Some people need to be taken care of. Some people want to like be in a, in a power dynamic that's not healthy, but they think that's what normal is or... Absolutely. Well, and different people need different things because there's there are alphas and there are betas and there are and that doesn't what I've learned over the going on 20 years of doing this is that things don't divide down gender lines nearly as much as we were told growing Mm. up. They really don't. Because there are women who want to be in charge and men who don't, and there are men who want to be in charge and women who don't. And you know, um, over the years, I've when I ask uh, why you know what brought you, what's making you motivated to get started and change this part of your life, I've had women say they miss sex more than men hmm. over the twenty years, yeah. and men will specify that they miss intimacy, yeah. and that the and they'll they'll always be like I, I'm not talking about the sex part, I'm talking about that intimacy that you know that closeness with someone, yeah. and so that's been really interesting because it's very, very slanted that I've heard men say intimacy more and women say sex more specifically. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I just being a empathic man, yeah. <laughs> I, I I draw those guys. Yeah. To, you know, like for if, if I'm at a party, my wife always jokes, because if I'm at a party, the people who there are certain people who pick up on that and they will just come in and tell me everything basically. And a lot of times the men are so and this happens in my practice too, they're so hungry to have the acknowledgement of another man to allow them to have what we probably consider to be their more feminine qualities to be able to express those things comfortably with with another man. Yeah, I have the same thing where um, it's like the Peanuts comic strip where Lucy has the little <laughs> yeah. psychiatrist for five cents yeah. and I must have the light switched on and I don't know how to switch it off. People on the streets, I'll be walking down the street and someone will just turn to me and say, my life, my wife left me two weeks ago yeah. and I'm like walking by and I have to stop and like step back a couple of steps. And I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know we were in session. Like, <laughs> I okay, know. So do, should we find a place to sit or, you know, and it happens so regularly. I know it's crazy. Yeah. And, and I, but well, I think there's, there's, there's something about having, having practiced the way that we do in our, in our work where we we're able to stay fairly neutral Yes. And you know, I don't. I think I can be in any situation. Also, I think it's a, it's it's part of doing some work for, on yourself, where you know all the messiness. Yes. You know, you're you're not trying to. You know, at least for myself, I feel like I've gone through enough messiness that I I can come out the other side and say, well, I accept whatever yours is, and and so I think people just pick up on that right away. They know. Well, and we're also offering what is an intimate space true, that is also true. a safe yeah. space. Because I, I'm giving them 
probably the most focused time they've had um, to where someone is giving them their full attention. It's anywhere from one to four hours. And we're just talking about them and their wants and their needs. And yeah. how often do people have that in their lives? Yeah. You know? And so... And th- culturally, I think in, in, in America, I mean, it's different in different places. Living in New York, I feel like I had a, a little window. And also, you know, just being, having spent some time in, in Europe and I went to school in England, there's, there's a very different sort of way that we communicate and express things. Yes. And, and, and in New York, you get, you get kind of get to see it with like, and I'm, I didn't, I've never lived in California, but I imagine it's the same with Latin culture. There's, there's so much more expressive and touching and they're, you know, they're sort of like just in your face all the time about the, the thing that they're feeling. We don't uh, culturally, at least growing up in the Midwest, especially yeah. <laughs> as you did, it's, you, you don't get a lot of that. I found myself like incredibly comfortable with that. As soon as I started meeting people like that, I gravitated towards people like that. Cause I, I, whereas I was good at, at listening to all that, I wasn't necessarily as good at expressing that. Oh, definitely. And I've had almost all male friends my entire life and I'm, I operate I'm much more of a dude. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> my guy friends will tell you that too. Like, She's kind of just a dude. And I operate that very much like an American guy. Yeah. And so that's always been really interesting when I go over and I spend time in Europe and uh, I actually had Italian men tell me, you need to treat Italian men like you would treat a woman. And I was ah. like, interesting. Okay. All right. Though that's a completely different life thought. <laughs> yeah. And they're very, very affectionate. I had a very guy's guy from, he grew up near Boston, who was living in Florence at the same time I was. And he he was always saying, he's like, it's so hard. He's like, I don't even know. Are they gay or are they European? Because they're just so. Isn't there a Saturday Night Live skit about that? Probably, yeah. <laughs> because they're so affectionate among men yeah. that he like he was processing and he couldn't. It took him a minute where he was just like, I, 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 I like, I don't care if they are. It's just I don't know the dynamic. I don't know what I'm like. If there's a different way, I'm supposed to. You know, so that was interesting too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I find it. My, my wife's family is Russian, and and the the guys come off as being sort of very tough on the surface. Yeah. But lots of feelings going on there, and at certain times, like they have to sort of tell you about all those things. But it's, but it's, it's even with even with American men, I don't find that they're that they are able to get to the feeling part very much. No. Um, yeah, that's really true. And I was something I was uh, I was making comparison between those two cultures, Southern European and American, just in the dating, where if you took them and put them on a playground, um, Italians and Southern men or whatever, they just want to play. They don't care mm-hmm. if if they can't get into the tether ball game, then they'll go over and play hopscotch. And then if they can't get in there, they'll go play basketball. If they can't get in there, they're gonna go play soccer. Like they just want they just want to play, and that's how they like date. Like mm. they'll talk to this girl, and if she's not interested, they'll go talk to the next girl. And they they yeah. don't take rejection in the same way. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And where American guys, yeah, they have picked that they want to get into the double dutch game, and they are going to stand there until they, they can get into that game, and. Yeah. They have picked a goal, and I think that's also where we run into um, mixed messages in the dating in America versus over there, where they take no for an answer and they just move on to the next. Right. Where American guys are like, (laughs) 
this is what I've decided. I will be getting into the double dutch game. And you aren't a part of the conversation. You are just the double dutch game. Like, yeah. So that was a kind of an interesting realization between the two. What, what, about, what about generationally? Mm. Because you, I, I imagine it, it runs the, the full gamut, right? Yep, How, what's, what's the youngest people start coming to see you? Um, well, it used to be more before online. I, I went all the way down to 18. Huh. And I have uh, signed people up in their late 90s. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, I really have seen all of it. Um, it has been really interesting where the generation of our parents... There was, you know, they men were raised not to s- express emotions. Yeah. And so whatever emotion that they were expressing, they only knew how to laugh or be angry. Mm. And that's been changing for them over the years. They've kind of like found different ways to express that. Um, and the women were raised just to take care of everybody else and kind of ignore their own needs in that generation. Mm-hmm. And so all these women are always coming in and saying, I don't want to be a nurse or a purse. <laughs> yeah. And so like that's a very clear like fear of theirs getting into a relationship because most of the time they just spent a long time in a marriage and they did everything. Yeah. You know, they did the cooking and the cleaning and the uh, all of the emotional work of making sure the kids' schedules went to where they needed to the, do their activities. And so they get out of that. And then it takes women a lot longer to want to get into a relationship usually. Um, I'm much more likely to have a guy come in who's only separated to, that wants to do it. Yeah. Whereas women want to wait till they're fully divorced. Yeah. That's yeah. been pretty common over the years. And I would even imagine that it probably takes women longer to like feel like there's, they're, they're going to let into the intimacy of the relationship, whereas... I think at least, at least what I've seen, especially with older generations, men will just like fall right into the relationship. But that is not, not that that's a, a, a good or bad thing, but I feel like that's something that I've seen. They don't want to, they don't know how to be alone in that generation. Right, right, right. And again, partially because they had a, a wife who was doing everything for themselves. Yeah. So all of a sudden they have to figure out and navigate how to do everything and yeah. They don't want to be doing everything. So that comes up too. Yeah. But a lot of times, luckily, now um, they're taking more time before they get into the next relationship. So they're having to learn how to do their own laundry and yeah. things around the house. And so, so they're more self-sufficient. With, with the younger generation right now, are they, are they not feeling like they're, they're finding like intimate matches, like long-term relationship matches through these apps? Well, part of it is that, um, so over the course of the time I've been doing it, when I first started, pretty much everybody that came in wanted to get married or at least have a permanent relationship. Okay. And then over this arc, in recent years, people doing searching for dating on Google keywords, mm-hmm. um, over 70% of people are searching for casual dating. Ah. And so that really has changed. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, when I would ask people when I first started, and I had just turned 24 at the time. So I was a lot younger than the clients I was interviewing. Oh, yeah. So, but um, they would say, you know, I'd say, what, you know, what was your motivation to do this? Well, I, you know, I want someone to go out to dinner with and I want someone to go to a movie with and I just want someone to talk to. 
um, because in, the only things that really delivered back then were um, pizza and Chinese food. Right. So, <laughs> you know, like you're, if you wanted anything other than those two things, a lot of times you had to go out to eat yeah. or you had to cook, which, you know. Um, and then movies, like you went to the movies. Yeah, yeah. And all of those kinds of things, whereas no, now yeah. all the movies come to you. Yeah. You can order anything you want for food yeah. and it can come to you. You don't need someone for those activities anymore. And now we have social media because that's come around during the time that I've done this. Um, and that has taken the edge off of where people don't recognize that they're lonely. Right. So they have movies to keep them company. They have food to keep the, give them comfort. They have social media to take the edge off and like make them feel like they're feeling connected to other humans. And so that's a big part of what's been going on in the last decade is that people don't understand, they don't recognize their own lon loneliness where they did when I started and they were doing something about it. Yeah. And so that's a difference too. And you got to keep in mind these online dating sites. I mean, the most common place people use them is either sitting on their couch or their toilet. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is not um, putting effort in to start a relationship or seek somebody out. Right. There's no effort. And so if the conversation falls off with someone tonight and you fall asleep and you go watch a movie or you get bored, yeah. there was no investment to begin with. So you're not going to work to progress it. Well, and, it's, and it's easy now not to, not to feel like you're like you can, you can keep yourself engaged so that you don't necessarily feel bored. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you're not lonely. Exactly. Because, I mean, I, I've, I've, I had a guest on who said that there was a study that he told me about that that the average person needs about six hours of that they, they, they were sort of looking at whether social media helped this loneliness epidemic that the you know is going on, and that that people actually need about six hours of in person time a day, but the in person time didn't necessarily need to be you know directly with somebody. It could be sitting in a cafe at a movie theater, just being amongst other people. The the sense of of where you are in the community or how you you know sort of feel in in combination to your environment or whatever that that was something that was a clear need that that they found that the social media wasn't solving for them because you need that energetic connection right between right. human beings right that makes sense eye contact and. Just all the all the little pieces you pick up when you're just sitting looking at somebody, mannerisms, just feel that you kind of get from being with somebody that you can't really pick up, you know, through. And I know you you have a blog, so you're you're engaged there quite often too. And and I've I've gotten to see a lot of the interactions, and it's fascinating. And people are desperate to connect. You can yes. sort of tell. But I don't necessarily sometimes negatively. It's sometimes negatively. It's but it's sort of like with kids. Like there's no there's no, no such thing as bad attention. Right. It's just attention. And sometimes I think that some of these people who are consistently doing negative, contrarian responses to every other post that comes up. Yeah. And it's just like they've somewhere along the line learned that if they pick a fight, they'll get attention that yes, they wouldn't otherwise exactly. get. Well, that's interesting. So, so with 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 uh, with a new person coming in, 
are they expressing often that that there's like what what are the needs that they're that they're looking for is 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 loneliness part of that equation is it is it that is it intimacy we have this fairy tale thing going on in 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 american movies and stories and everything that makes us think that love is this like ultimate thing between you and one other person that if we don't, if we don't have that in our lifetime, that there's something unfulfilled. Well, there's definitely that. I mean, people, and people talk about the end of a marriage being a failed marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've never been able to buy into that idea because it didn't fail. It reached its end point. Right, Right. It was just simply done. And so I get that conversation comes up a lot where, you know, I've had a failed marriage or I've had more than one failed marriage and, or my relationships have all failed. Mm -hmm. They didn't fail. You came to the end of that relationship. And so that's a conversation I have to have very very often too, because like you said, people think that they're supposed to find their permanent relationship. And if they haven't found it, somehow that's failure. But you you experience and learn and all of these things um, in every relationship you have, whether it's romantic or friendship or parental or, yeah. you know, familial. And you learn these things so that when you do find someone who fits you, you've grown and experienced enough to be able to be that person's partner. Yeah. And sometimes that doesn't come until you're older. Yeah. You know? So are are they able to identify that though? Are they able to come in and say like, some people, you know, this, this is what I feel like I'm, I didn't do well before I wasn't able to go deep enough or I was, you know, too uh, needy or too jealous or I, I wanted only that person for myself and I didn't want to share that person. Is that part of what, what they're able to identify then as they go along? Some people can articulate that really well. Yeah. And other people, I've had people where I say, you know, why did your marriage of 25 years end? And they're like, I don't know. Yeah. And I'm like, how do you not know? <laughs> you, like that's, yeah. that has happened, like that answer has come more often than I would have expected. Even if it's been years since that uh, marriage ended and they should have had plenty of time where, it, you know, hindsight would have helped. And a lot of people are just like, I don't know. Do, do you ever suggest, or do you have any relationships with like therapists in this field? To if you, if oh, they... I'll sit and have conversations with them and dig in and be like, "Well, let's talk about it oh, because okay. you know this this is something that right. you might want to figure out so that you don't repeat the same thing." But a lot of times it comes from the older generation, like we were talking about, where women weren't taught to articulate their own needs and wants, and so they were too subtle. Yeah. And they felt felt like they were saying what they needed and wanted for years and not being heard. Yeah. And they were being taken care of. So the men were happy and the men were like I thought we were happy. No, you were happy. Right. She wasn't. Yeah. And so that one has come up quite a bit too. Oh yeah. Because again, women um anticipate needs. They're raised to look for what someone's going to need or take care of them or, you know, all of these things. And they want someone to also be a mind reader for them. Yeah. And so that, that imbalance uh, causes long-term resentment. Is that changing generationally now? It is. So, and even just watching... At what age point do you think? Do you, are you able to identify that? Um, 
Well, definitely we're seeing all of these kids that grew up with social media that are expressing their thoughts and feelings and vulnerabilities just out loud in public yeah. <laughs> are going to have a much different relationship right. than these uh, people that were taught that you don't talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm seeing just in the 20 years I've been doing it, that generation even evolving and being more comfortable in their own skin and changing how they're doing relationships and yeah. becoming more partners rather than the man uh, being the head of the household, right. woman being the... I know there's a, a Bible term for it, <laughs> but it'll come back to me. But so, the, so the do, are they coming to you with with a, a different set of needs then in terms of what they want from a relationship? In that age range, or all across and the board, and like say younger younger men and women. Um, a lot of times they're wanting when if they come to us, they've gone through the online, they've realized that it's set up for a disposable mindset, yeah. interchangeable partners. Yeah. Um, it's not people that are looking, like I said, you're not putting any effort in if you didn't even have to put on pants to ask the woman out, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so this, it's just not set up. Whereas with us, they have to fill something out. They have to take a call um, from an appointment setter who does screening uh, and filters them out there. Then they have to set an appointment. They have to be responsible and reliable enough to show up for that appointment, right. and then come through. And the interview can take anywhere from an hour to four hours, and then make that investment of time and money and effort and energy. And that's before you've ever met anyone. Yeah. And so, just that we tend to attract people who are just even more active in their own lives yeah. because yeah. of that. So the younger people that are coming in, it's because of that. They've been through the online. Yeah. They know that it's not going anywhere. They feel like they've wasted enough time and they're ready to meet someone who actually is wants to be their partner in their corner, working towards the same goals in the future. And they want their person. Right. Yeah. Right. And 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 do you guys do matchmaking for for gay and lesbian? Trans and any any other. Um, we, I mean, we're not ruling it out, but it started. The company itself started in 1976, and it takes some years to get going. Okay. And then the AIDS scare happened, yeah. and so there's there probably wasn't a lot of pivot points at that during that, and by the time you know, and then they get to a certain point where we were all kind of like, okay, we kind of get what HIV and AIDS is now. Yeah. That's when the online started, and so then they're focused on kind of competing with the online and figuring that out and navigating. So it just never, um, it just never pivoted that way. So it's it's still the original, um, pretty hetero, uh, monogamous relationship. But but if people come in, they're seeking service. They have, and and we'll just tell them like, yeah. we can try and help you, but we don't have the database. Are, are there other services that do that that you that you know of? Not that it, not that in real life ones that I've ever yeah, heard of. Right. Um, except I think there maybe in Florida. I think there was in Florida. Okay. Um, but I, I think it was pretty small. I don't know that it got off the ground, but. Um, yeah, but there's specific ones for online and things like that. But it just never, like I said, they, it just never pivoted. And yeah. by the time um, we got to at least where I started working for them, um, the a lot of the other kinds of real-life in-person dating services were losing their way at that point mm. because they were trying to compete with 
the Walmart mentality of quantity versus quality, right. and you you can't do that yeah. and still have the same success. Right. So the so, Walmartian mentality. The Walmartian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the is is the, the so this this time period where we're now what seven months into the pandemic, mm, yeah, COVID times, and is is that changing what people are are looking for, or or you know even how they go out on on dates, having to deal with like is there do you have to do anything in in relation to testing before people can get together in person or how 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 are you dealing with that well um we do take everyone's temperature when they walk in the door they've already taken a questionnaire uh with the appointment setter on the phone yeah and they have to do another questionnaire when they come in because there's time uh in between those two um and we take their temperature when they come in for photo and video so if they can't pass the thermometer they can't uh, come yeah, in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and we take all the employees' temperatures every day too. Um, so, we do do a lot of that stuff, which has changed. Um, and when it first started, people were like, yeah, you know, hold off and I don't know and who knows what it's going to be like. Yeah. And then now people are like, I need to get out there and live my life. Right. Like, the, you can't be that isolated for that long and be healthy. Yeah. Because they say loneliness is more detrimental to your health than being obese or smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be important. It's going to matter. Yeah, I've heard, I've, I mean, just with people I know, some colleagues and some friends who have been dating, there seems to be a lot of good dating going on. Like the, the, the matches that I see happening right now seem to be good. And we were talking about earlier before we got on mic about... You start. You started doing this after nine eleven. Yeah, and how people would like that. There, there was a very specific time period where I think you you reassess the the value of of relationships or of having a you know a romantic you know involvement with somebody and being intimate in that way. That if you feel like you haven't had that or you haven't had it in a while. The, its value starts to become sort of obvious once all this is going on and you realize life could just, you know, end at any moment. Well, and the shelter in place, I don't know how long you did it in Minneapolis. The Denver one was roughly, I think, March 25th. And I think we went back to work May 15th. Yeah. So during that time, a lot of people were like, oh, I need to do something about this part of my life. Yeah. Because... You know, when you're just sailing through day to day, and you're getting up, and you're going to work, and you're coming home, and watching you're busy, TV. you're you're full scheduled. Yeah, but all of a sudden, you have to hit the pause button, and you're looking around your house. You you're gonna take a you're gonna make an assessment and kind of make some changes. Yeah, you're just spending that time with yourself. Yeah, I, I you hear this sort of re, you know the the metaphor of of being like war. And I think we were sort of joking, talking about like love in the time of COVID, yeah. you know, like the, the time of cholera. Yeah. And there's, and you know, there, there's something that happens, you know, to the Casablanca story, to all these things. There's something that just becomes so much more intense about the feelings that you feel during these times. And I think some of that is, it comes up through the, the isolation, um, but then it needs an outlet too. Well, and I think the the influ- like the factor of social media in people's lives all of a sudden it's filling up more time because you're at home uh-huh. and people are realizing 
okay, that's that's not feeding you because right. you're not even going to the office and having conversations with coworkers. Right. All of the, at least, and like you were saying, six hours of just being around humans. Yeah. People weren't going to the grocery store. Yeah, people weren't going into the bank. They weren't going into these places. They weren't even going in to pick up carryout food. Like they, it was coming out on to meet you on the curb. Yeah. So like, all of the even just normal energy input from just passing by other people. Yeah. Is no longer there. Yeah. So do you, do you have any like for someone? starting to think about, I mean, I, th I think this is, I, I wanted to have this conversation with you because it just feels like a moment right now where I think a lot of people are going through all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice in terms of like what to do for yourself in this situation? Obviously a, a place like yours is, is kind of boutique in some way. And, and, it is. And it's not cheap. And it's not cheap, yeah. but, but there are things that you must advise daily that that might help somebody in this situation too. Well, and that to go back to the covid thing too, people are still really nervous about yeah. meeting people. So they are wanting it so badly, but they're they don't know what the risk versus reward is and you know, you do something like what we do, we're weeding people out and on the fact that these are more responsible people. They're more, yeah, that's you know, true. they're more financially stable. They're, they are more likely to do what they say they're going to do all these things. So that's also kind of filtering out, um, the risk to some extent also just to circle back to that. Yeah, thought. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, part of it is just, you, you gotta be willing to put yourself out there and, just, you know, you can get out and just go for a walk with someone on a date. It yeah. doesn't have to be sitting in a restaurant. It doesn't have to be something that even has very much risk to it, you know? Right. And it's for grown-ups. If you ask someone to take an STD test before you're intimate with them, you can ask them to take a COVID test. True. I mean, it's the same level of responsibility. Yeah. You're just asking someone to protect you from their choices. Yeah. And that's... And absolutely okay, responsible adult thing to do. Do people come in with that concern in terms of in terms of finding a partner and uh, have, having having the risk of of any STDs? Oh yeah, of course. Does, is, does that is that part of the questionnaire? Or do you it's guys not part of the questionnaire that? because they. I mean, I think they say that over half of sexually active adults have had an STD at some point in their lives. Right. So I mean. It's part of that, and that's why you have people have tests. Yeah. Um, but actually, the people who are increasing in STDs the most are like in their seventies and eighties. <laughs> no, I've heard this. Yeah, I mean, those are the people that are passing it around and getting wild. So yeah. Yeah. I imagine it's partially because there's no risk of pregnancy, so they don't think of condoms and various right, other right. things. And you know, they didn't grow up having those conversations, but. Yeah, I mean that's something I'll have a, if and you know I'll have that conversation with people and just say you're an adult, you're going to be dating adults, just have the conversation. Yeah. Communication is key to everything. Yeah. You know. Everybody's got a, a, a concern or a hang up or whatever that I'm mm -hmm. sure your part of your role is to is to help them navigate this and get comfortable with those kinds of things and and even even just in terms of, you know, I like what we've talked about before is Finding finding a person is not necessarily 
the final end goal here either. I mean, we're right. we're learning ab- about our, ourselves in the in the process of all this. We're we're trying to make a match for ourselves, but how are you going to do that if you don't just get out there and get to know people and get to know who you are, you know, in relationship to different kinds of people? Well, and, and like we were talking about a minute ago, you can't match with the right person if you haven't learned enough of the things that will help you match with that person either. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes it takes a 10-year marriage and to figure out a lot of things about yourself of what you do want and what you don't want. Right. And they say that people do the most changing in their adult lives between the ages of 18 and 25. Mm-hmm. So if you picked your person during that and you haven't quite you know, filled out your skin and stretched yeah. into where you want to go, and sometimes that causes um, you to go in the wrong direction and you stick with it because you love that person, but right. love is not enough to make a relationship work. Yeah, It's just not. You can love them infinitely and they still might not be your partner. Right. You know. And and that's the, that's the thing I always think is interesting too is that you know, people deciding they want to go into a monogamous relationship or or you know, develop a long-term monogamous relationship, it's 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 a ton of compromise and you know, there there are some people who who go into it thinking that that they're going to kind of get things figured out in that intro period mm-hmm. and they're going to and they're going to see everything about this person and that that's going to be it but we're constantly growing through this process hopefully hopefully you know or or we're devolving <laughs> whatever right. the case but we have to keep kind of like adjusting to that and kind of reasserting w- what our needs are at, at every step of the way and it's it's daily it's like mm-hmm. you know every, every single day of your life you're with this person it's different than a friendship where you kind of take breaks and get back together and catch up you're you're caught up all the time <laughs> absolutely and that's one of those things too where um there are that's something that's finally evolving for men as you were talking about earlier men crave that ability to be vulnerable and intimate with other men mm-hmm. in a completely platonic way yeah. um but for so long men only had the woman in their life to have, that was the only person they were telling secrets that was yeah. the only person they were telling their wants their needs any vulnerability and that evolving, I think, is going to lead to healthier relationships in partnerships too. Men being able to, because you see these men um, come out of like they, either their spouse died or they got divorced, they no longer have a person to tell anything. Yeah. And so that's part of why they're more motivated to get into a relationship again because they don't have a place to put that. Yeah. And everybody needs a person. Yeah. And it's interesting too because like on the on the vulnerability side with men, I know that there have been generations of men who I mean certainly men who who served in wars together. Mm-hmm. You know, where they basically were having to, you know, deal with each other every single day who develop these quite intimate relationships with, and they end up keeping those relationships usually for their entire lives. And I think, I mean, it's still true to this day, but I think, you know, maybe military service has changed in, in some ways in the way that, you know, people do it as a job or the way that they kind of get into it. There were, there were points where you just kind of got thrown in and had to like deal with each other. And, and I, I think that was one place. And I think it happens with men a lot of times in sports and things like that too. Those are, those are the only places that I've ever seen it in my life as a musician. I was going to say musicians and theater, theater people too. Yeah. 
you it's it's a little you, you kind of have to do that like pretty early on almost almost every like good musician relationship i've had comes down to the fact that we're able to to explore all those things you know we're able to like express something together and sometimes it's it's not even through communication the music sometimes just like pulls these things out of you mm-hmm. and you know sometimes you get done with a, a creating something with somebody else and you feel it and it's like oh, that was intense <laughs> yeah and you're connecting on a different level and we need more of that in the world and in our society right yeah, now yeah to circle back to your point about the war, um, so the owner of my company, he actually met his wife through the the dating service and then started buying them. Hmm. And they've been together for 30-some years. They have a couple of kids. Like, they're really adorable. Um, but his parents have some of my one of my favorite love stories. Um, his dad was a POW from Italy in station that where they had a POW camp here in America in Michigan, hmm. which I didn't know this until years ago when he told me this story. And his mom had happened to be over visiting some cousins in New York when the war broke out and she couldn't get back. So then she went to stay with some other uh, family in Michigan. And we held dances for the POWs. And they met at a they met at a dance for the POWs, oh, wow. and there was about eight couples that all met through these dances and these activities that they had for POWs yeah. that we brought to Michigan for some reason. Um, and then after the war, um, his parents went back to Italy because they were both Italian. Um, but then after some time, moved back to Michigan, and all eight of these couples. Uh, ended up st- living in Michigan, getting together once a month for their entire lives. Wow. Yeah. So how did you get into this work in the first place? Oh, I'll, I'll, this is how long I've been doing it. When I first started... Clients had to come into the office to watch the video on VHS of other clients. (laughs) Yeah, I've been doing it a very long time. Um, But how I found the job, I was actually sitting around with friends at brunch on a Sunday and we were looking through the job ads and I saw this little maybe two inch by two inch job ad uh, talking about the dating service. And was it I was, in a newspaper? In a newspaper, yeah, <laughs> on the Sunday newspaper. And I and I was just like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I'm going to go do that while I find, look for a real job. Yeah. And then 20 years later. Wow. So, yeah. And I, and I think it is, I mean, my whole job is to have a stranger alone in a room, talk about really personal things, and then our job is to help them find someone they love who loves them back. Yeah. Like all of that. Absolutely. I'm in. (laughs) So. Yeah. Is, is that, uh, that, that, that thing for you just in terms of being personal for a second is, 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 is that because love, is that something that, that you've spent a lot of time like, working at or thinking about or is, is is that how you kind of ended up in this do you think oh um i think it was actually just my natural operating system like i've never hated anyone in my entire life yeah, yeah. like i like my default position has always just to, been to love people yeah and like 
all the way starting, I guess, out of the womb. Yeah. Because there's stuff in like my baby book where I just was very much an I love you person. Yeah. And so, and interestingly though, I've never been goal oriented to get married either. Because hmm. I do get asked that question a lot at work. Yeah, They're yeah. like, well, are you married? I'm like, I have never wanted to be. Yeah. I haven't reached that point, not ruling it out. But when I was in high school, girls would always talk about wanting to get married by the time I'm 18 to 22. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like maybe 28 to 32. Yeah. And then I got to those that age and I was like, maybe in my 40s or 50s I'll get married. Yeah. And it's like I keep pushing it off because I just haven't had that desire. Well, maybe because you are actually experiencing love all the time, if you're like, yeah. you know, feeling that way, or if, if, if that's what you're looking for in your life, you're, you're probably finding it on, on a daily basis. Well, and I think it's also one of those things like you talked about too, um, being somewhere and you not being interested in pursuing people in the, in the, uh, club or music venue or whatever. Yeah. And your friend very much wanting to pursue it comes to you more naturally when you're not out there pursuing. Yeah. So I do tend to date the marrying kind. I did like pretty much every relationship I've ever had um, eventually came to the point where that person said that they wanted to get married. Yeah. Whereas I've had friends who all they want to do is get married and then never end up dating those kinds of people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think there's some of that um, wrong end of the magnets. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think we, we probably get attracted to things that, you know, are, are, are our opposite in some ways. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that's why some of those matches do work, but there's, but there are also things that really don't work together. (laughs) Well, yeah. And opposites attract, but compatibility lasts. Compatibility. So it's, it's different than being opposite really. Yeah. But that initial attraction, people will pick something that's very different from them. But eventually, if you don't have overlapping compatibility, it's not going to last very long. Yeah. So it's just that initial new shiny thing that isn't like you and you wanted your curious, you know, intellectual curiosity makes you want to find out more. Yeah. Is it Esther Perel? Is that how you say her name? Do you know who she is? She's the... She's French. She's she's done a few TED talks or a TED a pretty well known TED talk. But one of the things that she talked about was that with a you know with your partner, she's like the one thing that that's important beyond everything else is that you each still have your independent sort of passions and mm-hmm. explorations, and that those though, that independent part of you is what ultimately keeps you attracted to that person. It's like seeing your partner across the room engaged at a party, laughing and having a good time and and getting deep in conversation with somebody else and you see that happening, that attracts you to that person again. Yes. You know, because really that that's one of those things that I mean I've been in a couple of long-term relationships now. So I know that there's there are these waves where you know you kind of keep going through those things over and over again with them and you know each time it's like deeper in a different sort of way, but you have to have that independence. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, my wife and I certainly talked about early on was that we have these things that we just have to do. We both have creative, you know, sort of things, endeavors going on on the side. And that I think in some ways it's, it is what, you know, keeps us so sort of engaged because we talk about those things together and I stay out of that 
you know, I mean, I, 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 I like what she does art wise, but, I, but I, that's not for me to like have any input in. Right. And I like that part about it. It's like sort of a, a separate, you know, thing well, that I get to observe. And that's a mature love. Whereas so often you see relationships disintegrate because it's an immature love where they almost kill what attracted them in the other person. Right. And they just kind of keep chipping I'm away at them. Trying to hoard them. them. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, you know, you see these people who really fell for a free spirit, but then that's the part that they try and like pull out of them at the same time. Yeah. And then that's not there anymore. And you're, you know, so there's, it's it's very tough. There's not, there's not as much mature, real love in the world in partnerships because again, it goes back to we haven't had many healthy examples of it. Yeah. yeah. So, but it, you don't see as often as, I mean, it should be that your partner is doing something that makes them happy and makes them successful or creative or fulfilled. And both partners can support and nudge that person to continue in that vein. Yeah. I think about this a lot right now, having a teenager and thinking about why these conversations aren't going on. I mean, luckily I feel like our kids are getting a pretty good example. And there, and there are times now where like both of our kids are at an age where if we're being mushy with each other, they kind of get a little, uh, or they want to come in and just hug, hug with us, which is, which is a really sweet thing. But, but for, you know, I, I feel like this, this could be one of those like things that could be part of education to just sort of learn about this. We do sex ed, but we don't really get very deep into like the intimacy of of human development with another person. Well, and really the sex that we do is very mechanical. I was having a conversation with a client about this years ago where they were talking about how they only tell you what sex actually is. Like sex is putting a part into another part and yeah. whatever. But they don't teach you about foreplay. They don't teach you about how you make someone else feel comfortable. They don't teach you about how to have conversations and communication to make that a healthy aspect of a relationship either. Yeah. So going even beyond that, we don't do sex education in a very educational manner. Yeah. And then go the next step and we're not teaching how to be intimate and how to um, expand to what's healthy love. And we don't talk about any of that. Yeah. And if you went to Catholic school like I did, there was even less of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, you don't do that until you get married. And apparently you would just figure it out when you got married. Right. Luckily, I had grandparents, my dad's parents, my that grandma, um, was very, very, very clear about the fact that sex is an important part of a relationship Mm -hmm. because, you know, I grew up in a very Catholic strict household and my mom's side was very Catholic strict. My grandma on my dad's side, it was very clear about it. And, um, they were together for 64 years and they were still having sex until they couldn't have sex anymore. Yeah. And she like, she hammered home when I was probably too young to even know what sex was, yeah. just making sure that you knew that this is an important part of it and that if you don't have it, that's not the right relation, you know, and mm. all of that. So that was really, had I not had that, then I probably would have had different feelings on it going to Catholic school. All my yeah. Life. Yeah. And I, and I don't, I don't feel like men are very good teachers of um, fathers or whatever, are, are oftentimes not as good a teachers of 
staying with those conversations. Yeah, because it's, like it's a, uncomfortable. It's a little more uncomfortable for them. And when you when you see someone talking about this stuff in any sort of public way, it's usually a, a woman like Dr. Ruth or some, you know, somebody who's has. But it's but it ends up being more clinical, which is which is okay. But I I think there's also a part where people just need to understand like the the compatibility aspects of it. The you know the what what is healthy now now with like you know I, I this is this has got to be like a strange time to to grow up as a as a teenager or a person in your twenties with, with the amount of online material that you can, you know, kind of get lost in and also teach you all the wrong things. Yes. So is that, is that something that you have to, is, is, is there anything, any of that stuff that comes up in terms of problems in relationships? Um, well, I think that if you can name it, I've probably heard it at yeah, some point from yeah, some client over sure. the years. Um, but I do remember a client, this was also years ago, There was she sent me a TED Talk about, there's this woman talking about make love, not porn. Yeah, yeah. And how we need to stop um, putting out in the world that that's what actual sex between partners is like. Yeah. Because it sets up expectations. First of all, that it's that easy to make it all um, find its end goal, but also that you know the way they're the way they're doing things is not normally i mean that's porn it's a different right. thing than and so then the expectations for women to do a certain thing or men to do a certain thing and they don't live up to it then all of a sudden they don't feel like they're doing it right and right. so um i we i remember she and i had a long conversation about that and how she even said she needed she was an older woman but she needed to remind herself of that where mm. she is allowed to have needs and wants in that situation and that she needs to say them out loud because, again, she came up in a generation that women don't talk about what they want or right. need. And if they didn't get what they wanted or needed, then it just that's just how that went. Yeah. And so... I feel like women could look at porn and think, like, clearly fantasy mm-hmm. and they can kind of do whatever they want with it, whereas men looking at it have a totally different view. Mm-hmm. And I think, and it used to be stories probably like men would sort of, you know, have these, these tales, Yeah. <laughs> you know, which, you know, I, and they, they still do because I, I hear about this stuff from younger people, but, um, but they, and, and they believe that the other person's life is always better than theirs in terms of their sex life or whatever. But they, but that doesn't. Again, that's just the the act part of things that they're they're not really getting back down to like what really made that you know a, a great experience, and that's and that's where I feel like you know the 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 app dating the sort of instant the, the as you were saying earlier like the, the quantity versus quality thing. I don't even. I think there's there are people who don't have any sense of what what quality is like or haven't even experienced it. Oh, absolutely. I've also run into clients like that too, where maybe they had a long marriage and they never figured it out. Uh, and sometimes they aren't, they don't have great sex until again, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, yeah, 90s. Right. And it's the first time they figured out what they didn't know about it and finally get it, like finally it all clicks because they're with the right person and they know how to communicate together. Um, and it's it's that's always really interesting to hear 
because they they want to somehow help somebody else figure that out earlier. Well, I mean, and and I always, you know, I, I, I think there's a part of me just from the work that I do with people, I, I, I know, I know a lot of times what people are really looking for is, you know, even, even when they're, even when they're having a health struggle or they're struggling with anxiety and depression and things that I, I, I tend to treat, they're, they're trying to improve their experience. And so there's all these little pieces that are sort of in there and I, and I, and I get glimpses of them when I, when I hear, from, you know, things that, that they're struggling with that I know are sort of part of their well-being that they're just unable to kind of find that. And that's, that's why I wanted to talk to you because I feel like it's, it's, it's a very specific skill that you have, <laughs> really. Yeah. And it's different than a therapist because the, the, the outcome in a, in a therapy session that would be different, I think, would be, you know, they're, they're working on tools. And that's, that's why I think it, that's, that's an important thing that some of these people who are coming in might still need to do that work. But Oh, absolutely. But, but I've gotten some people into grief groups too, like if they oh, uh, you know, lost a lost spouse somebody. or yeah. lost a child recently or you yeah. know. Yeah. Cuz that's important too. But but to but to help somebody navigate, you know, how how to really engage in a relationship and figure out what their need is from from a relationship is is kind of a unique thing. I almost feel like there should be more of you out there. Yeah, well, and a lot of times therapy is what you're doing for internal work, for personal growth. What we're doing is helping someone make life changes so that they're making progressive growth. Right. And so that they're putting one foot in front of the other into the next chapter of their life instead of stalled and marinating in whatever moment that isn't going anywhere. So that is also a part of it, too, because the two most important things we choose to do in our life is what we choose to do for a living and who we choose to spend that living with. And so often people invest time and money and effort and energy into what they're doing for a living and they almost have to circle back and start the whole process of investing in this part of their life because they focus too much on the professional life. So that's something we have to help people with too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I wanted to put something out right now. I just feel like it's a very specific time with COVID and people really, you know, thinking about wanting to wanting to make these important things what that quote that you just made is like it's so it's it's such a huge one you know the those those two those two pieces in our lives are are most of our lives right and when you neglect one half of it you're missing out on half your life yeah well thanks Kristen. Yeah. thank that you was awesome. it was fun Kristen Campbell, folks. My relationships during this coronavirus pandemic feel like everything to me. The distance and the challenges of seeing each other face to face, sometimes masked, has brought so many things to light, but nothing quite as clear as how much I value these deep personal connections. And while we can't always be with the ones we love, we can still cultivate that feeling. The primary relationship in our lives is with ourselves. So say nice things to yourself. Point out the good things more often and express positive feelings towards yourself. Feel gratitude and, and do something thoughtful and caring for yourself today. Go ahead. I give you permission. Improving this loving relationship with ourselves is the foundation for nearly everything we'll do and experience in every relationship we have. And if you're looking for love, there's really nothing more attractive to another person than this. 
Let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can hit me up at any time at my email, jeremy at highway2.health. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends.